You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, Bills fans? This is Matt Perino here with Ryan Talbot. Your Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast is live. It is Wednesday night, coming off of a big win for your squad, 27-17 over the Jets on Sunday. And we have a fun show today. I I tweeted it out uh, a few hours ago. Uh, A couple comments were very funny. It looks like your doppelganger. I've always thought he looks like your doppelganger. Well, it's a funny story, and we're going to get into it. Uh, We got this cool new little uh, outline here. Um, header that I wanted to debut, uh, but let's get him in here and get this, get rid of this. What's up, my man, Matthew Fairburn, the athletic. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We are wonderful. We are wonderful. Um, it's funny. <laughs> we couldn't have like a funnier story because we do look similar. You, 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 you shaved the beard off for the show this week <laughs> to kind of take away from the, the, uh, similarity, but Matthew Fairburn was at Syracuse.com, New York Upstate, uh, before me, uh, along with Ryan Talbot. He went on to The Athletic. I took this job, and so we are in the Buffalo Bills locker room. We used to be in the Buffalo Bills locker room every week. And <laughs> funny stories of, of people like looking at us and thinking we look we look alike. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Yeah, I, even Kim Pagula once, I think, uh, got crossed up at the owners' <laughs> meetings uh, trying to figure out who was who. I, I think... Clearly, uh, Hank Doman uh, has a type when he's <laughs> when he's hiring Bills reporters. I guess that that was funny actually because when when Matt was going through the hiring process there when you, when you had left for the Athletic, we, we were joking about that. We we're like, yeah, right now it looks like we're going to hire Matt Perino. Yeah. So you know, same hairstyle, same yeah. first name, the facial hair. I'm like, yeah, I guess you really do have a type. So it <laughs> it ended up working out pretty well for everyone. Well, well, yeah, leave out the age. We won't talk about our ages. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we won't do that. Hey, in the comments, leave your best guesses at the, the age difference, and we'll have a little chuckle about that. It is kind of funny. Like people have a hard time guessing. Once you get to a certain age, I think everything starts to blend together. And- yeah, people do not. Um, I, I I keep up with my look a little bit. I try to I kind of try to stay young. I think people it flip it gets people. We don't talk about that much on the podcast. My age. I'm um, getting all uh, 
weird on here. So no, (laughs) let's, uh, let's move this thing right along. So it's a, it's a fun show because this is our first big Wednesday show after the season started. And I feel like this has been such a crazy off season with nothing really to talk about or dive into. I mean, we had, uh, the, the combine and then it was like the world ended and it was like months and months and months of like all of this anticipatory work and now we're finally here after all of this time three quick weeks of training camp a game on sunday and i want to start there and you put out uh 10 uh 10 things that you know we learned from uh watching on sunday what was your biggest takeaway from the bills win over the jets on sunday matt i think you know the more i've thought about it and and you know like you said we we hadn't had football to watch in so long and to actually analyze so it's like you know you want to get into every little thing and and try to dissect every little bit um it's funny we spent what six months like you said anticipating the start of the season and talking about seemingly six months talking about josh allen and then all anybody wants to talk about as soon as the game ends is Josh Allen. But <laughs> for me, I, I think the biggest thing that I took away was how much Brian Dable kind of, you know, adapted his offense to what, you know, his team does well, what per, what their personnel does well. They spread the ball out a ton. They were in 11 personnel on 65% of their snaps with three receivers and they were in 10 personnel with four receivers quite a bit as well. And a lot of, you know, quick passing wide receiver screens. They used a ton of play action. Uh, they had more play action uh, than any team in the league, which I think is um, smart. The smart teams use play action. It's, you know, kind of simple. It doesn't seem, you know, revolutionary, but it's something that they didn't do all the time last year. So, Brian Dable being able to, you know, kind of utilize different parts of the game, figure out what his team does well in a short period of time, mind you, a a weird training camp uh, and kind of hit the ground running that way. I think that was the most encouraging sign from the Bills offensive performance. Yeah, absolutely. And I like the fact that he went back and he looked at what the Jets struggled with last year against the Ravens in in terms of some of those zone reads and uh, the fact that he utilized that. And obviously, you know, some plays were worked out better than others. We saw some Josh Allen fumbles along the way. Uh, But that's what a smart offensive coordinator does. He doesn't just look at his own personnel. He looks at what's worked well against that opposing team. And on a week-to-week basis, I think you're going to see that from Brian Dable. He's going to go out there and he's going to look at what their biggest weakness is, the opponent of the Bills, that is, and and try to attack that. And and like you said, that's what a good offensive coordinator does. It's now been, you know, like he's had enough time now, right, to um, figure out who his quarterback is. His quarterback is starting to understand – who he is as a player. And now Brian Dable actually has more pieces to do exactly what you're talking about, Ryan, where he can look at an opponent in the past. He might've said, all right, I'm looking at this opponent. We could probably carve him up this way, but man, uh, can't do it with Nathan Peterman or, you know, can't do it with Derek Anderson or even Josh Allen. And as he was younger, like I can't put this much on Josh Allen's plate or he didn't have the receivers to do what they did on Sunday. There's now enough personnel on offense, enough talent on that side of the ball for them to do a lot of different things. They they could look like they did last week, and then they could come out on Sunday and run Devin Singletary and Zach Moss into the ground. And 
beat a team that way if the matchup calls for it. So it's there was a lot of buildup to this offense, uh, and I think you know they met expectations on Sunday. Flipping it over, and I, of course, agree with everything you both said. I mean, I think the offense coming into this, how quickly was this thing going to work was a big question mark. But one of the things that maybe was confirmed for me on Sunday was the potential that I thought that this defense had and what I thought they could do this year. Now, this Jets, Jets offense is a hot mess. I mean, you know, Sam Darnold looks completely spooked and it has nothing to do with the ghost. I just, I just feel like he's playing with such sub-level talent that Everything that he does feels like it has to be this heroic effort, almost kind of like early Josh Allen, the situation that he was in behind a very bad offensive line without any real weapons around him. Even a guy like Le'Veon Bell, who's been so good for so long in Pittsburgh, really didn't make much of a difference. But what really stood out to me, my biggest takeaway is I think that this team is going to be able to get after the passer this year. Mario Addison he's almost coming in here as like a DH, you know, in a lot of ways. I mean, he's coming in here. We thought, uh, you know, we're a lot of talk. I think a little bit more about this. Now we saw some times during training camp where uh, Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes were out there together, but what we saw play out in this um, in this first game is what I think a lot of people expected. You have that first unit, Jerry Hughes and Trent Murphy, who started for this team last year. Then you bring in Mario Addison and you really don't lose anything in that. Yeah, they got a, a strong rotation up front. I, I mean, the fact that they didn't feel like they needed to dress A.J. Epinesa, their second-round pick, uh, tells you that they're in a spot that they're drafting best player available. They didn't really draft a, a strong need there, but they're also – they don't have to force these young guys into action. And it's certainly not what you hope for out of your second-round pick. You hope that he can you know, get on the field, but – not easy to do when there's the guys that you talk about, uh, Mario Addison, Trent Murphy, Jerry Hughes, but even the guys inside. And uh, it it's a lot of scheme and a lot of players. And But I, I feel like they understand how to use guys and plug and play them. I mean, look at Justin Zimmer, hmm. uh, a guy that you know came in a couple weeks ago, gets called up from the practice squad uh, on Saturday, and he's in the backfield making some plays. That, I think, tells you what they have on the coaching side, on that side of the ball. And uh, it's Sean McDermott. It's Leslie Frazier. It's Eric Washington. It's a, it's a whole lot of everybody. And I did wonder, you know, how the pass rush would look without Lorenzo Alexander, one of their, you know, sneaky pieces on that pass rush last year. But I feel like they're finding a way to make it work. Now, we got to see it against an offensive line that's not the Jets. Uh you know, that's a, not a very good group up, up front. They tried to rework it, but the Bills were all over Sam Darnold all day long. And that's a good sign because I think the Dolphins, uh, you know, can be exploited there as well. Uh, John Fal- Falsetta uh, from YouTube here with a uh, a Buffalo Beat shout out. Uh, this is a running joke on Mr. Fairburn and Joe Biscaglia's podcast. No bigger fan in the world than Mr. Blaine Gabbert than our, our guest tonight, Matthew Fairburn. Uh, so quick shout out from John there. I feel like it's morphed into half the people. I get messages where people ask me, like, what's your problem with Blaine Gabbert? Like, what's your beef? And then other people thinking I'm the biggest Blaine Gabbert fan in the world. So I think it's a I think it's good. I've clearly kept people guessing with all the different context I've mentioned him in. 
Um, this is the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast. If you're watching, our guest tonight is Matthew Fairburn. He is from The Athletic, uh, Bill's Beat reporter and co-host of the Buffalo Beat Football Podcast. Make sure you check that out. Subscribe, rate, and review to both if you would. Uh, let's give some updates and talk a little bit about where we're sitting here Wednesday night, uh, a couple days out from game number two. Uh, we were out of practice today. Matt Milano uh, wasn't there, completely mispracticed with that hamstring, which I don't think was too surprising. I think if you were to take uh, the, the laundry list of injuries that happened last week, and I won't say laundry list, wasn't that long, but uh, that was one that had me a little bit concerned because Matt Milano in the past has dealt with hamstrings that have kept him out for a game or two, maybe even longer. Tremaine Edmonds was there in a red non-contact jersey. Uh, he did some stuff off to the side, but did not practice. And then the big one today, Matt, John Brown, uh, wide receiver number two or 1B or however you want to call him, he did not practice today with a foot injury. And then when I when I brought it up on the Stephon Diggs uh, press conference. You ended Diggs, the press conference, basically. I don't know Diggs, what happened there. Diggs seemed like he didn't know. He didn't know that, uh, <laughs> that John Brown missed practice today, and he kind of was – I don't know. And it was a very weird exchange, but um, you know, that's kind of interesting because if John Brown can't go uh, and, and we'll see over the next couple of days, how serious the foot injury is. I mean, there is some depth here that I feel like it's not as much of a concern as it would be in years past. Certainly not. And John Brown is a guy who does get veteran rest days. He is of the, uh, of the age where he would get that. This was not that, but you know, you might, he might be the type of guy where if there's a little bit of soreness, they, you know, err on the side of, you know, giving him that rest. And uh, I wouldn't push the panic button just yet. And to your point, Gabriel Davis, Cole Beasley, um, you know, and what Ryan talked about at the top, right? Brian Dable can, you know, he can take that and say, okay, we don't use four wide receivers this week. We use three and we run the ball more, or we go with a different game plan. He can be uh, adaptable in that way. I, I think, yeah, we'll see how much, you know, you need to panic about John Brown later in the week, but Matt Milano is certainly the one that, that you got to look at because that's a an injury that has plagued him in the past, and he's a, a huge part of the defense in so many different ways that he changes how they play defense when he's not in there. And I think he probably – changes how they play defense when he's not in there more than than John Brown will change how they play offense. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And, and you know, there could be some uh, mismatches for the, the Dolphins to exploit as well. And Mike Gusecki's a very athletic tight end. Maybe they'll see some kind of matchup there with if Milano can't go on Sunday. Uh, but is it encouraging? I'm going to ask both of you this. Is it encouraging maybe the fact that the Bills haven't brought any linebackers in yet to, that we know of? Uh, in, in terms of what we think we're going to see on Sunday, the fact that Edmonds was out there in the non-contact jersey, which is better than not being out there at all. So heading into week two, are, are you at least more encouraged after seeing those linebackers all go down in week one that maybe they're going to be healthy enough that they don't have to bring in an outsider? They can always promote from within Andre Smith on the practice squad, for instance. Yeah, I think they have. I think when you saw the, all those guys go down, it wasn't you know it wasn't just Tremaine and Matt Milano. These then their backups went down, and it was like, man, they're going to be you know left with nobody out there. But it looks like Tyrell Dodson should be okay. Uh, he was in a no contact jersey, but that's a guy that they like. Uh, and you mentioned Andre Smith, so I think they have enough options. I, I think they were looking at Dion Lacey earlier in the week, but didn't end up 
signing him just yet. A guy that's familiar with their scheme. If you've got a break glass in case of emergency, you can go out and get a guy like that. Not ideal, but I, I think the fact that they're they haven't you know made some drastic move. They haven't put anybody on injured reserve, right? So that's the first key that or, or clue that it's not a a three week injury, uh, or at least they hope it isn't. So. I think those are all good signs and, you know, it doesn't hurt that they're playing the dolphins this week. Like if there's a week for Matt Milano to miss, this is, this is probably it. And it's funny. Like, I think that AJ Klein, part of the uh, value in bringing him in is, is his flexibility. He played some Mike linebacker for new Orleans last year. They could flip him around wherever they need to plug him in. And they really liked what Tyrell Dotson did. And this is an extension of what we talked about a lot in training camp and in the entire offseason, going back to even last year a little bit, uh, he went out, he made a big play today. Leslie Frazier was er, uh, on Sunday. Leslie Frazier was very complimentary uh, of his first NFL game. And that's kind of something that got lost in the radar under the, uh, or lost in the mix because, you know, when a guy like Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano go out, I mean, that is the story. A guy like Tyrell Dotson in his second year, his first NFL snaps get kind of thrown in there. And I know the game was, was plenty in hand. I mean, that's an impressive performance for a second year guy that I think that they might have some, some hopes for. Well, and again, you know, it goes back to what we talked about on the defensive line. This is a defense, a scheme that works really well. Uh, a group of coaches that is, really good at not only developing players, but preparing players. And so, you know, what you lose if Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds are out is, you know, athleticism at the linebacker position, you know, the ability to take Matt Milano, put him on a tight end and forget about that tight end. Um, you know, most tight ends, you can't do it with everyone, but he's pretty good in that area. One of the better linebackers in the league, Tremaine Edmonds covers a ton of ground, but guys like, you know, Tyrell Dodson, Delshawn Phillips, these guys that, you know, they know the scheme Dodson's been here a while and, and understands his role and how he fits. So maybe it's a, a case where, like I said, you have to change how you play defense. All of a sudden you don't have two of the most, you know, athletic cover linebackers in football doesn't mean you can't get by for a couple of weeks you know obviously extended period of time you're, you're talking about something different but I think Dodson is capable of filling in and AJ Klein is a good player as well who understands this scheme as probably uh, as well as they could ask any guy that would be filling in to understand it because of how long he played in it in Carolina so certainly some good backup options there uh their depth was tested. They got some, you know, reps out of, you know, guys that normally wouldn't see the field because the game was out of hand and they had injuries. So that was kind of a, a nice consolation there. And I think it could help them this week. <laughs> a little, uh, we usually chat in the sidebar with who's going <laughs> to come in and who's that. Cause you know, it's, we want to keep this flowing and uh, I guess I'll come in with the, the next part. So offensive line is something that, again, another thing that we really couldn't talk a whole lot about in terms of what this was going to look like on the right side. We got our first look at it on Sunday, Cody Ford at right guard, Daryl Williams at right tackle. And one of the first things I did was go back and watch every play. And now it's a, it's a pretty big thing on social media right now. I'm pretty sure as a last check, the all 22 is still not out. So I'm pretty sure your tag team partner over there, Joe Biscalia is freaking out emotionally, physically, mentally. I, it's, it can't be a good time for him right now. 
Yeah, it's got to be rough. I, I, we've got another guy, Ted Wynn, on our, our staff who does a ton of like league-wide stuff, and he is losing his mind both on Twitter and in Slack. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of the film film folks out there are they are reeling at the moment. They're in a glass case of emotion, that's for sure. <laughs> so this wasn't the actual film because it's not out yet, uh, but that's not really my forte anyway. I'll let guys like Joe... Uh, and, and some other people dive into that, but I went back and watched every play just to get a sense of what I th- how I how Daryl Williams played, and I thought, and I would love your thoughts on it. I thought he played really well. I thought he held up, particularly in pass coverage and, and run blocking, is a whole other story for the entire unit that I want to ask as a follow up. But in terms of Daryl Williams, I think that that's one of the areas that when they went out and signed him, they thought, okay, if we can get. 2017 Daryl Williams as a pass block blocker on the right side. We could, this offensive line could take a step in 2020. What did you think about his first game? Yeah, I think, you know, Daryl Williams, if he continues to play the way he did in week one, I agree with you. I, I thought he played well. Uh, I, and I thought the right side of the offensive line looked pretty good for the most part. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not an expert in NFL offensive line play and what the calls are and what their, you know, responsibilities are on each play, but, you know, just seeing general execution and kind of, you know, what they were doing, how that, you know, some of their best runs came behind Cody Ford. Uh, he is a really good run blocker. He's an asset on the interior of the offensive line. And so you wonder if, you know, Daryl Williams plays well and Cody Ford looks like more natural at guard. Does it alter their future plans along the offensive line? You know, there's a few weeks here where they can figure out what, you know, the the right side of the offensive line looks like. And uh, John Feliciano is another huge part of their offensive line. And a guy who I thought played really well last year. So you want to find a spot for him too. a good problem to have, uh, you know, and I think one that, a lot of NFL teams, including the one the Bills just played, would love to have. But I thought they looked pretty good over there. Uh, Daryl Williams and Cody Ford, I thought thought it worked you know, pretty naturally. Um, and I, I like Ford as a guard. You know, one thing that I noticed, too, about Daryl Williams was that a lot of people were kind of writing him off coming into the Bills this past season because of his 2019 campaign. But the, the Panthers played him in so many different spots they played him on uh, both sides on the left, tackle, guard, and then guard on, and tackle on the right side. So in your opinion, if he is just settled into one spot, how much easier does that become for him in terms of knowing his responsibilities and knowing what he has to do on a week-to-week basis? Yeah, it's pretty pretty huge. Uh, so I had some of these conversations with some people who do know offensive line play a lot better than I do. And when I was, you know, asking people about how hard it would be for Cody Ford to switch to guard and, you know, we kind of veered off topic and talked about guys switching from left guard to right guard or right tackle to left tackle or, you know, right tackle to left guard. Some of the things that Daryl Williams was doing, it's, certainly a lot better for your muscle memory to be on one side consistently repping that same step. You almost have to learn completely new steps. It feels like you're using the wrong hand when you switch from right tackle to left tackle. Some guys are better at it than others. Some guys just, you know, it feels too weird. And if you're thinking too much, then, you know, all you need is half a second and a guy blows by you. And there's 
some similarities to the transition to guard. You're, you're, you know, you're moving inside. So things are going to happen faster. Your guys are going to be in your pads a lot quicker. So you need to have the strength, uh, to handle that, but you also need to think quick enough to deal with it. So the more you can get guys repping the same position, I, I think the better off you are, especially when they're repping it as a unit and together, I think, you know, Sean McDermott talked about pretty early on wanting to find that right five, not just, you know, where does Cody Ford play, but finding the right five and getting those guys playing as a group, because that's where you, you notice, you know, the, the sum being greater than the parts uh, for a lot of offensive lines is guys who have played together in the same scheme for the same coach. Um, really starting to feed off one another. And sometimes some of the best offensive lines in the league, you don't even point out individual players. You're just like, that line kicks ass. And I don't know why they do it, but it's probably because they're all playing together. Like Green Bay has a great uh, group up there, and they they all have been playing together for a while. And I think that's the big benefit to Daryl Williams and all these guys not moving around is having – um, you know, guys getting familiar with what they're supposed to do and familiar with each other. One thing that I thought was missing from this offensive line group on Sunday, and maybe that'll change and maybe they'll find it in different places, was that, you know, kind of eye roll inducing cliche that was thrown around last year when you talked about John Feliciano and that nasty that he brings on the on the offensive line. I think that's one of the reasons that they kind of excelled a bit you know, as a run blocking unit last year. I mean, there were games, I think one game didn't Frank Gore he either got close to a hundred or went over a hundred. I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive for the, the guys blocking up front to get a 35 year old running back to have a game of that magnitude. But I just thought that like, you look at the, the personalities on that, on that offensive line, Mitch Morse is very, uh, very intelligent. He's very kind of uh, measured. Cody Ford's kind of laid back. I haven't gotten a chance to really get to know Daryl Williams, but in the conversations we have gotten to have with him, they have he hasn't struck me as a guy that's super uh, nasty out there. I think getting Feliciano somewhere back out there, or at least on the sideline, I think would add to that whole dimension. And I think that that's something that even Deion Dawkins has told us, that's something that was missing in 2018 that Feliciano added in 2019. Yeah, an idea that I floated and um, you know, on our podcast the other day was, you know, Feliciano gets healthy, you know, maybe you let him compete with Quentin Spain uh, and see what, you know, he can do over there. Again, it's a good problem to have, right? Too, too many offensive linemen and not enough spots. It's not something that a lot of teams have around the league and the bills have had, it feels like two years in a row um, where they, they have extra offensive uh, linemen uh, and nowhere to put them. But I do think Feliciano is a guy that means a lot to the group up front. He, he means a lot uh, in terms of what you're talking about, but also he's well-liked and he's, he's also talented. Uh, he's a good player uh, and he's probably one of their two best guards. I would say we have a small sample size here with Cody Ford, but I think he's probably one of their two best guards. So it creates an interesting dilemma for sure. You've got, Feliciano in the final year of his contract. You've got Quentin Spain in a contract that is three years, but they could very easily get out of after one. It's basically a one-year deal. Uh, Darrell Williams was signed to a short-term deal. So they're kind of, this is the type of situation that a guy like John Feliciano probably thrives in. He's probably sitting there seeing Cody Ford at guard, 
seeing, you know, Daryl Williams at tackle and thinking, you know, having people wonder like, oh man, is there a spot for John Feliciano? Like, and how much is he sitting at home just, you know, pissed off, ready to go out there and show that there very much is a spot for him on this line. That's exactly what the Bills want to create is that type of situation where every single guy feels that way that, man, there's a guy right here that could take my job if I miss a few weeks. And that's where they'll get better as a group up front. And I think, you know, with all the the contracts kind of up in the air and, and different questions about different guys, uh, it'll all sort itself out through that competition, which is which is the beauty of it. Staying on the offensive side of the ball, Josh Allen, uh, kind of a career day in many areas, over 300 yards passing, over 70% completion rate. But we also saw some of the bad. We saw two fumbles before halftime when the Bills really could have put that game away uh, before the start of the second half. And, and we've seen those fumbles throughout his early career. In your opinion, are the fumbles something that can get fixed or is this something that the Bills are just going to have to live with because of the way that Josh Allen runs with the ball? It's tough. I, I mean, you know, fumbling is one of those things that you can – I know he's talking about, you know, in practice, repping it and and all those things. I mean, I don't know how you practice fumble, you know, protecting the football in practice when guys aren't trying to knock it out or hit you um, the same way they are in live action. He is, he's what, 18 fumbles over his last 18 games, which is one behind Carson Wentz. Uh, Carson Wentz is probably a good case study uh, for this. He has not gotten much better at protecting the ball, um, and particularly with fumbles. I mean, Josh Allen's gotten pretty good at not throwing interceptions, uh, which is a plus, but a turnover is a turnover, and putting the ball on the ground is putting the ball on the ground. So I think you, I think he can improve, but it, I think it starts with – and it's the balancing act. It's the, uh, the topic that I'm sure all the coaches are tired of getting asked about. I can already tell Josh is tired of getting asked about it, but just when you have a mobile quarterback, you don't want to coach out the magic uh, that is created by some of that mobility. But you also – you know, I was talking to Brad Childress last week and the, you know, what he said was like, it's not smart, like to take hits, like that doesn't, you know, make you cool. Like it's not smart football at all. So there's an element of that. Like Josh mentioned the first fumble, he could have just gotten down, uh, you know, before that he'd gotten plenty of yards. Uh, you could probably say that about both fumbles. Um, Lamar Jackson barely gets hit. It seems like in some games, uh, Russell Wilson, you watch him run and he's hardly ever getting hit. Uh, so there's an, I think a lot of it is decision-making and, and maturing and who knows, maybe he's got to take a certain hit that makes him think twice about lowering his shoulder. It's weird because it's the thing that so many guys talk about when you ask why they like playing for, for Josh Allen and playing with him is his willingness to put his body on the line. So, you know, everybody talks about the hurdle that I remember his rookie year covering this team and, that was the moment where, you know, they got hard eyes for their quarterback was when he hurdled Anthony Barr. Uh, and the one guy in the locker room that was like, man, I don't know if he should be doing that is Lorenzo Alexander. He's like, <laughs> I love it, but like, that's, you know, don't do that. Like, and it all, it's all part of the same conversation of like fumbling, taking care of the ball. It's like taking care of your own body. Um, I, I think it's 
on Josh Allen in some respect, and it's on Brian Dable too to recognize times where he can call those plays. I think it's great that they're doing design quarterback runs. I think that's a great part of the offense, a huge weapon. Arguably, I mean, look, you've got a mobile quarterback, a, a guy that can run, utilize it. But you don't need to do it when you're up 21 nothing. That was the part where it was like, all right, Brian, like dial it back a bit. You don't need your running back being the or your quarterback being the guy that's that's chewing clock. Hand it to a running back, or um, you know, I, I just thought that was a little bit reckless. And it's all kind of part of the same thing, especially when he fumbles. Uh, you can't have it. So more so than you know, when he runs, all bets are kind of off, right? He's going to take hits. He's probably going to fumble sometimes because he's a quarterback, not a running back. What you want to watch for to see if he's improved on a lot of his fumbles last year came in the pocket too. So that's where you'd like to see if he can improve at least that part of fumbling and protecting the football that way, uh, that would probably help him cut down on the overall number. I can't remember back to his rookie year. Now the story that he told to explain why his nickname is Joshy Boucher. But every time I see a moment like in, you know, you go back to Houston when uh, he had some of those kind of head scratching moments. It it makes me think of the water boy and Bobby Boucher, who just literally went into another in, like mind, it seemed, and just went absolutely nuts. And I'm wondering the more and more as we go along here and some of these moments that he has, he was so calm and composed. Like we talked to Mitch Morse last week and we asked him what was the biggest difference from, you know, second year Josh to third year Josh. And he's like, just his calm and his demeanor in, in the huddle. Now that was without any games, without any preseason games, even it's probably hard to really measure that. But I feel like there's, it's just in him that he needs to feel a little bit of that. I think he said it last year that he doesn't really feel like a football game has started till he takes one big hit. And so you almost have to kind of coach that out of him. I think at least that mentality, but you're like, you mentioned, it's kind of a fine line. How much of that do you want to coach out? Well, here's the thing. Like, I mean, there's some parts about a quarterback that are really hard to change. And especially when you're at the point, I know a lot of people view Josh Allen as a young quarterback, which he is. And, you know, certainly coming from junior college and playing at Wyoming, he's got a different learning curve than other quarterbacks. So he definitely is still young. But after two seasons, you, in a lot of ways, you kind of are who you are. Um, you can build on it, but like, you, you know, your tendencies, your your strengths and your weaknesses, they, they're kind of, it is who you, you know, you have to work around it. That's where we talk about Brian Dable, you know, being willing to take his offense and, you know, adjust some things to what Allen does well. I mean, look at the quarterback that the Bills are playing this weekend. How many times did people say, man, if Ryan Fitzpatrick could just cut down on those interceptions, he'd be a great, he'd be perennial pro bowler. Uh, or if Ryan Fitzpatrick could just stop taking massive hits. He's another guy that takes tons of hits and it's why guys love him. Um, but, you know, it's, it's never really stopped. Now you can cut down on it. You can even like, you know, Brett Favre, um, you know, is another example of a guy that, some of that is, is who he is, and some of it is, is part of their their magic, their allure. Um, they did manage to get Josh Allen to cut down on the the boneheaded interceptions. That, but that's, you know, most quarterbacks can find a way to work that out of their system. 
But the other stuff, you think about what you would lose if you totally coach it out of them. And, you know, there's, there's a fine line there. I think they know who Josh Allen is. They know some of the the risk involved. It is, it, it is kind of funny that a coach like Sean McDermott, who's, you know, defensive minded and all about taking care of the football. You got to wonder what he thinks when Allen, you know, breaks the pocket and starts running around with the football, like a loaf of bread, but you know, it, it's, it's who they have. And they, I think Brian Dable understands, you know, who he is very well and finds ways to get the most out of him while, you know, hiding some of his flaws. Uh, and I think you saw that on Sunday, even though he had the two fumbles, they were able to overcome it. Yeah. And speaking of Brian Dable, after uh, Sunday's game against the Jets, there's a lot of praise for him on social media from media analysts uh, saying that he's going to end up, may, you know, being a really good head coach when given the opportunity hypothetically, let's say the Bills offense performs very well this season. They keep improving. He leaves. How big of a loss would that be for Josh Allen? Because you just said it yourself. Brian knows his strengths. He knows how to work around that. Is that something that another coach could just come in and kind of work around? Or is the fact that these two have been together for three seasons now uh, something that would uh, really hurt Josh if Brian Dable were to ever leave? I think... At the the stage that Josh Allen's at in his career, he should be able to handle that type of loss much better than he would have been able to a year or two ago. Uh, you know, kind of like I said, after a few years, a quarterback, for the most part, is who he is in a lot of ways. So if hypothetically Brian Dable were to leave, you know, after this season, that's that would mean a few things. That would mean that the offense performed really well. Um, well, unless, you know, he got fired, uh, there's that too, but uh, on this hypothetical track we're working on, if he, that would mean the offense did really well, which would mean Josh Allen probably did really well. And if he's getting hired as a head coach somewhere, he's probably getting a lot of credit for the way Josh Allen developed. So I think when you look at it through that lens, you would say, all right, Josh Allen just had three years with this guy and they've determined, you know, the rest of the league has determined he did such a good job with that guy that they want him as their head coach. Well, I would trust Josh Allen at that point to say, all right, maybe you promote Ken Dorsey who understands the offense, or maybe you find somebody else who's got a different scheme that might work pretty well with Josh Allen. We've seen plenty of quarterbacks make the transition. It's a matter of, especially at this point, you know, You've seen what happened to the other quarterbacks in that draft class who've had to shuffle offensive coordinators. That's a bigger detriment than a guy who would get three full years with the same guy only to move on. Cause you know, they would probably look for a guy that, you know, has a similar scheme or, you know, similar, uh, you know, pedigree and, and try to plug them in and continue what they were doing. And Josh Allen understands the offense well enough that he knows what he does. Well, the offense is, multiple enough that there's parts of it that, you know, would translate to other schemes. So wouldn't be to me, that should be the last thing on the mind of, of Bill's fans. I think they, they should hope that happens. They should hope Brian Dable gets hired as a head coach because in that universe, things went really, really well there. Frankly, I think Brian Dable still has a lot of pressure on him this season. I thought it was a great debut uh, for him, but, this is the year where the stakes are that high, right? He could, if things go well, be 
a head coaching candidate. And if things don't go well, who do you think they're going to turn on first? You know, the, their prized quarterback or the guy coaching him. So I thought entering the season, he had as much pressure on him as anyone. So far, so good. He's got the most to gain and probably the most to lose from how the Bills uh, perform on offense this season. So we got our first look at how this offense is going to look, albeit against a defense that leaves a lot to be desired. I mean, this could end up being the worst secondary in the league. I mean, they were bad. I think they benched Pierre Desaire uh, in the second half at some point, and Adam Gase was asked about it, and he said that his uh, position coaches make those decisions. And so, you know, that's just – it's a tire fire, and I I almost think you don't want to extrapolate too much from this game and try to predict what's going to happen to your point. I mean – I think that you know you still want to see how this thing turns out. But in terms of what they were able to do, even against a bad defense and a bad secondary, I think one of the cool things that we got during the training camp was when John Brown kind of used his his example from Arizona when he was with Michael Floyd and Larry Fitzgerald, and all of them almost went over a thousand yards to kind of reference how this trio can have success with Josh Allen and the bills in 2020. So what are your expectations now with John Brown, Cole Beasley and, and Stefan Diggs and can two, maybe even three go over a thousand yards this year. I'd be pretty surprised if three of them, I'm doing some quick math on. Okay. So 62 yards a game is, is a thousand yards for a receiver. I think John Brown and Stefan Diggs have a pretty good chance to get there. Three of them getting there, I don't see it because you need to have a lot of volume in your passing game to to get to, you know, three 1,000-yard receivers. That means you're probably – you'd be betting on Josh Allen throwing for 4,000, right? I mean, if, if they're getting, uh, you know – over a thousand, they're not going to split it a thousand, a thousand, a thousand. Um, you would hope that, you know, Stefan Diggs is closer to, to, you know, 1200 or something, but I don't think three of them are going to get there. I, I just, Cole Beasley didn't get there last year. So I think the other two have a chance though. It, it's the way they were used, you know, most of their air yards, if you look at, you know, the throws that were actually down the field, they were Stefan Diggs and John Brown. I think it was like 65 to 70% of their air yards, attempted air yards were for those two guys. So I think they have a real shot. Um, but like you said, you want to see it against the secondary that's that's not the um that's not the Jets and see if Josh it's a Josh Allen question, I think, more than it's a, a Stefan Diggs and John Brown question, because those two guys I think are legit um receivers, like you said, kind of one A, one B. Um, but a lot has to go right for the offense to produce that level of, of a tandem and they got to stay healthy right now. John Brown's on the injury report. Um, it's a long season and, you know, they got to stay healthy to get there, but I think I'd probably say there's a better chance than not that they both hit that number. So 2020 has already been one of the oddest years, most bizarre years in recent memory. And it's, it's probably gonna be pretty bizarre for you two on Sunday. Usually either on Friday or Saturday, you guys are on a plane going to the traveling to wherever the bills are playing. That's not the case this weekend. No one from the media is traveling to Miami, which is my understanding. So first of all, how are you two going to spend Sunday watching the game and how's it going to feel maybe being home or being somewhere uh, for one of these away games for maybe like the first time in a long time. Yeah, for me, it'll be the first Bills game since uh, 
2013 when I was mm. still in college uh, that I wasn't at in person. Um, I think it will be, well, here's that we can't go in the locker room right now. We we're not interviewing the coach in person. So there's, there's not that real pull for me to be like, Oh man, I need to be getting on a plane this weekend and covering this game. There's not much you can get there that you can't get, um, you know, sitting at home doing the zoom calls and everything like that. I'll be, you know, sitting at home, um, Tim and I have discussed some ideas for, for what we might do, but more than likely I'll be sitting at home. Um, there, I'm trying to lean into it. Like, you know, what, what can I get out of this that I wouldn't be able to get out of, uh, being there? I was at the game last weekend, but even home games, you wonder, you know, how much is it worth being there? You kind of weigh, um, what you can get done at home and, and the press box was a little helter skelter with three zoom calls going on at once, but, I think there'll be more of the FOMO aspect of um, traveling when we get to other road trips. So we've been there and done that with Miami, right? It's not uh, not exactly a spectacular game day environment. It's fine. Um, you know, I'd put it in the bottom half of stadiums that I've experienced. It'll be like Vegas. You know, I know for our, our boy Perino over here, that'll be a, a big bummer. Phoenix, San Francisco, some stadiums I was – ready to check off the list that I hadn't gotten to yet that the bills are supposed to travel to Nashville, of course, for uh, the extracurricular activities. But um, <laughs> that's, you know, it certainly would be nice to get down to Miami and, you know, get some golfing and be on the beach. But I, I think from a, a coverage standpoint, it'll, it'll be an interesting comparison because it'll be the first time I've covered a game from my couch since I was on the beat. Talbot got after it in Houston last year. Uh, I've, I've, I've petitioned, uh, our boss to make sure that we get some more road Talbot, uh, in the future. But of course he put that on ice because we can't travel. But one of the cool things, well, I won't say cool things, but one of the interesting things about this Sunday and Tim tweeted about it on Sunday, um, Tim Graham was that he, for a change, he got to watch the bills game with his son. And, um, that's something I'm looking forward to. Obviously I've never, he always asked me questions about the bills game when I get home or the next morning. So that'd be cool to, uh, experience that. But in terms of like trying to figure out what games, like some, some people have said, I'm not traveling or we'll see, uh, some people are even entertaining, maybe some travel. I know for instance, uh, somebody that I know from Vegas, they've already traveled. They traveled to Carolina, uh, or, wherever they played last week uh, in their opener, they traveled there and they covered oh, so it. So did our Raiders reporter. Our Dolphins reporter went from F Florida to Foxborough last week and back. Wow. So and that's, <laughs> I mean, and yeah, our, our Raiders reporter did. Our Seattle reporter went to Atlanta. We had quite a few um, reporters traveling, which to me, there's a couple of teams that are, let, you know, oh, if you travel, we'll give you a few extra players. Mm. And then you're, you know, it's a little bit of a weird thing. They're like incentivizing it, right? Like, well, I didn't want to get on a plane, but damn it, I need to get two extra guys on Zoom. So here I go, <laughs> better mask up and, you know, get my my COVID test. But, you know, other than that, you know, there's not a huge reason to be there. I, I, it is an interesting, you know, conversation. But like, uh, like you said, there are some people that are just plowing ahead and going for it. And I guess it's all your situation. Like, you know, if you have a family or you're in a state like we are where, you know, it's been mostly it's gotten under control, you know, no pol politics aside. I'm just talking about sheer numbers. Like we went from holy 
you know what to now we're sitting here looking at it a few months later and we're, we're in good spot. Now I will say there's no way I'm, I'm walking, I'm waltzing wow. into the epicenter of this thing and going and checking out Miami, but Nevada just came off of the quarantine list, starting to look at some flights. We'll see. My wife's probably going to put the kibosh on that, but no, I think that, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not going to, you know, use my, uh, I'm not going to be like, oh, let me test this out with Miami. Right? <laughs> yeah. Let me test out traveling and see how that goes or no direct flights. So I'm like at the moment, you know, and so it was like, all right, I'm going to get on four airplanes, rent a car, go to a hotel, <laughs> go to a stadium, mind you, where there's going to be what, 12,000 people there um, that you may or may not come into contact with in a state where it's a little bit out of control. So if there were... Not going to lie, if we could be in the locker room or interviewing guys in person in some capacity, I would probably be going. Um, but it's a matter of what's the return? You know what? Right. I don't go to games just to say I'm there. Uh, and, you know, like that's not really um, why I'm there. I mean, the biggest benefit to traveling has always been to go into the locker room um, for me. Um, it's where the most interesting stories come and. Um, it's the reason to be there on the ground. Uh, yeah, I mean, see, well, you haven't you haven't partied with Matthew Fairburn enough because I think some <laughs> of the most interesting stories have been on nights that we've gone out. So there you go. Well, you know that there's there's that aspect as well. That's that's for everybody else. Uh, but you know, certainly we would have been set up for a nice uh, a nice road schedule from a from an extracurricular standpoint. But um, all places that that aren't going anywhere, right? You can you can visit them. It it doesn't get too much better than what the Bills had set up on the road this year. But yeah, from a covering the game standpoint, even last week, right? It was a little bit of benefit to be in there. You're kind of in your normal routine. You can see the sideline. Um, but Tremaine Edmonds gets hurt. I mean, Ryan knows this because you know he's he's watching the game on TV. Ryan might know before we do what the hell is going on with Tremaine Edmonds because they say it on the TV broadcast first anyway. So mm -hmm. some of that little stuff, um, you know, I did a story last week where I was like, all right, I need to be here. I followed Stefan Diggs every move from warmups to the sidelines all over the field. And that, the reason I did that story was because I was like, if I'm going to this game, I, I might as well do something that justifies me being there. Um, and, but going all the way to Miami and being in that press box where you don't know what the testing situation is on every beat. You don't know what, um, you know, all that type of stuff, getting on an airplane. It's um, like I said, if it were worth it, if it was like, Hey, you can go in the locker room. If you fly down to Miami, I'd be like, all right, Here we let's go. do it. You know, but for what we're getting access wise, um, the guy on his couch is going to get as much access, um, you know, on the zoom calls, uh, then the guy sitting, I'd be on the same zoom call in Miami that I'll be on right here. Uh, and so when you think about it that way, you're like, well, not really worth it and not worth the company money. Right. Uh, I mean, it's you gotta be a company man sometimes. Exactly. And maybe you could start putting money, company money into other things. Um, but that's a whole nother conversation. And you know, if, if I do have to travel at any point this season, I've seen these, like they're kind of like parkas, but like they're, they're plastic. And they almost remind me of like your own personal little bubble that you've ever seen these people. Didn't people Joel out. Embiid have one? 
Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to get one of those. And we'll try. I was telling Josh Reed about that today. Anyway. Yeah, just sit in the press box with one of those and uh, <laughs> find a way to do your, your zoom calls with that thing. I, trying to do the zoom calls with the mask on was interesting the other day. You always think that you always think nobody will be able to hear you, but I think they can. I yeah. think, you know, <laughs> it's really not that big of a deal, but it, the, yeah, the whole press box thing was weird. It was like weird being in there when, you know, it was also, I don't know how you guys felt like I watched games on TV after, you know, like Sunday night football and Monday night mm -hmm. football. And I was like, Oh, this is kind of normal. Like it, they got the crowd noise. It's like, you're kind of zoning out half watching. You're like, Oh yeah, this is just a football game being there in the stadium. I was like, this is messed up. Like yeah. there's nobody here. What's, you know, it was just weird. Uh, a lot weirder in person than it was on TV. And we're, you know, all the way up in the press box. So we have to actually look at the emptiness in front of us. I guess right. like when we, when we watched the scrimmage, we were all kind of lower down. I know that I think you were sitting up higher, but even still you were in the 100 level. It wasn't all that emptiness sitting right in front of you. Yeah. You're, you can really feel it. And the crowd noise that they were pumping into the actual stadium wasn't like significant or at least no. uh, you know, I didn't hear most of it. You couldn't really hear most of it. I heard the occasional train whistle, much to my dismay. Um, you could hear the shout song a couple of times. Um, I don't think they played it on the first. I, I couldn't really hear much. So that also made it weird. It was just really, really quiet. And like all the normal things you're used to, like I was saying to my wife, like the thing I love about this job probably more than anything is that feeling like on game day, you know, walking in on a game day, whether you're on the road or at home. And it's like a, an NFL Sunday has a certain feel to it. And when you're, you know, in the middle of it, um, there it's, it's a really cool quality. And you walk into the press box, the press box is buzzing. Everybody's talking to each other. There's, you know, people getting breakfast together. There's, you know, people from other beats that, you know, and you're talking to them. And then, you know, the locker room after the game is just a complete, you know, chaos scene. And none of that exists right now. Like, so you walk in and it's just, it's a little bit strange. It's, um, it felt normal at times, but you're right. When you kind of looked around, like sometimes you get locked into the game. You're like, oh, I'm covering a game. This is a normal Sunday. Then you pick your head up and look around and you're like, man, this is, this is anything but normal. All right, Ryan. So we have a question here that uh, you picked out from the chat. And if you guys have a question of something that we didn't talk about, we'll try to hit it. We got, I, I want to keep this under an hour, but there was a couple of things I want to get to real quick before we go. So let's take this real quick, Matt. Um, and one of the, you know, bummers of this, this situation is we really haven't had a lot of access to the assistance. Like we would probably in most years, just kind of, you know, bumping, bumping shoulders, bumping elbows, or, you know, uh, if you could set up one-on-ones, uh, you could do that now, but in the zoom environment, it's, it's just a little bit different. So I guess, what are your early impressions of Eric Washington? Because it seems like from his guys, he's getting pretty rave reviews. Yeah, I think so. That that's probably the best thing we have to go off is a, what his players say about him and B how they play. And, um, his players seem to love him. Um, you know, anecdotally, just talking to a few of them, I think the the familiarity he has with a lot of those guys helped in the transition. And, you know, the way those guys were playing and the way Sean McDermott talks about Eric Washington, you can tell there was something that they weren't getting, uh, you know, up front last year and that they feel like they're 
mean, he's an ex-defensive coordinator. He's going to command respect in the room immediately. And I think so far so good um, with that group. Now, a big you know part of the project will be developing guys like Ed Oliver, AJ Epinesa. Um, you know, you can plug and play the guys that know you, um, but what do you do with with some of the talent that they've drafted there? Uh, you know, even a, a Daryl Johnson, um, you know, seventh round pick last year, but ton of ability. If you can, you know, make him into something, that that's really your resume as a positional coach. Yeah, and this is a guy that has a great track record, uh, always high up there on the list in terms of team sacks when he was a defensive line coach, defensive coordinator there in Carolina. Uh, So I think that's part of the expectation of what he's going to bring to this Bills defensive line. We saw some pressures from Ed Oliver. We saw sacks from Addison, uh, from Trent Murphy. You, You saw Hughes get some pressure as well. So, you know, through one game against that Jets offensive line, obviously, uh, I think that he's off to a great start. But even in training camp, uh, you guys would put out those reports every day and you'd see Brian Cox Jr. sometimes brought up in terms of having a really good day. Mike Love having his moments. And these are those young guys, like Matt said, that eventually will have to maybe be that next man up. A.J. Epineza, obviously, being that second round pick. So um, he's going to it's going to be interesting to watch how he works with these guys, these younger guys. Maybe they're on the practice squad. Some guys he's experience with and just see how well they do develop over the next two to three years. Um, one thing I wanted to get to here, um, I, I was going to ask you for one bold prediction, and maybe you can, uh, for the Bills in 2020, maybe you can work that into this. But we got a chance to go back uh, also and watch Miami, New England, uh, prepping for this weekend. We got a chance to talk to Brian Flores this morning and his early impressions, and obviously he spoke pretty highly of Josh Allen and you know just what, you know, watching from afar, I mean, he was in New England when Josh was a rookie, then became Miami's head coach last year and now has gotten, you know, to look at him in, in two different ways. Um, and, and he he spoke pretty highly of him. But I think that this division going into this, I mean, I was pretty high on Miami. Uh, I still thought that New England was going to be in the wings. But after watching that game, I really don't think there's any excuse, not that there really was any before this, where Buffalo shouldn't be the favorite in this division. I think that New England could be pretty limited as a passing offense. Uh, I didn't, I didn't love what I saw there. Now they didn't do a ton of it. I think he only threw 19 times. Um, but again, another situation where if you're depending on Cam Newton at a post 30 years old to kind of carry your team every week, running the way that he did. I think that that could be problematic as well. What are your impressions of the AFC East right now? Yeah, at this point, I feel like it's a bold prediction to say the bills won't win it right i mean they're at this point such a trendy pick and probably i don't know are they betting favorites i think the they are the patriots they are betting favorites now the Bills. yep and you always make sure to ask me on sundays that's one thing that we haven't we won't have as much anymore because he knows that i always post uh traditionally the uh the odds post but yeah they are betting favorites going into the season to win it yeah so that i guess that would be a bold prediction to say the patriots are going to win it i what I saw on Sunday from the Patriots was a team like much like we talked about with Brian Dable is a team that is willing to reinvent itself um, and, and find different ways to win. Like you said, you don't want to extrapolate too much from one week, um, you know, with the bills kind of the same goes for um, you know, the Patriots against the dolphins. We don't really know what the dolphins are, but if Cam Newton can move around like that, uh, for 16 games, which is a pretty significant if. Uh, I think the Patriots are going to win the division. I, I think Cam Newton 
looks healthy. Um, he looks like himself and he hasn't been that way for a long time. So um, he, this is a former MVP of the league. Uh, they've got some talent on offense, not as much as you'd like at receiver, certainly not nearly as much as the bills, um, but they've got the best coach in the league. They've got enough returning you know, players on the offensive line. I think they have a talented backfield. Um, the defense didn't seem to miss a beat, even though they lost a lot of players. Uh, I know it's kind of tired uh, for Bills fans to hear like, oh, can't bet against the Patriots. But it really is hard to bet against the Patriots, um, even in this post-Tom Brady world, uh, because Cam Newton's pretty pretty darn good. And I've always liked Cam Newton as a player and, and always thought he was – um, you know, probably criticized a little too much in the years post MVP, but uh, I think it's an interesting, an interesting division for sure. And I, I think the Dolphins are going to be head and shoulders above the Jets when it's all said <laughs> and done. I see that team kind of growing, and the Bills, you know, this week shouldn't have much pro- you know problem taking care of them. But I feel like by the end of the year they'll be a tougher out. The Jets, I think, are just you know a mess. Yeah, that's one thing I will say I took away from the, watching the game, though, is when you can cover the way that they can and they're a threat to turn the ball over, that's still just such a important quality for winning football games that I think that's where the Bills kind of uh, – I think that they miss Josh having Josh Norman in this environment. One of the things that he talked about and the play he got injured on was creating turnovers and being in that second cornerback role, maybe not having to carry the load defensively, but make plays. And, you know, you saw this last week, they had the, the Matt Milano interception, Jordan Foyer caused a fumble. You, you, you give a, this offense a couple short fields. And to your point, I think it'll be a big, uh, a big game. We got to get out of here. It's like, it's been an hour. I don't want to keep you too long. It's your Wednesday night. My, my alarm's going off. That's our, that's our, 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 uh, give a shout out though, to anything that you want to, uh, let people know to check out where they can find your stuff. Anything you, you have coming up that you want to, uh, pimp out right here real quick <laughs> yeah we've got our podcast is the buffalo beat as you mentioned that you can uh you can find wherever you find podcasts and i think the athletic is still running a dollar a month uh deal if people want to get in the door over there uh, they they've told us that they're not going to tell us when they're going to stop running it we're not supposed to tell people when they're going to stop running it and i'm not an expert so i'm just gonna <laughs> say that we're still running it i guess until uh until we're not. Um, but that's a pretty good deal. I think it's a dollar a month for three months. Um, you know, depending on if you've signed up before, sometimes you can get a longer deal than that, but got some, some fun stuff coming. I, um, wrote about Josh Allen and, uh, I compared Josh Allen to Donovan McNabb, which was, I don't know if it was a mistake or what. I got a lot of people kind of, uh, in a tizzy about that one. Um, and, I wrote a story about the kickers uh, or about Tyler Bass last week. I've got, I have a fun story coming this week that I'm working on that I've ha- I've enjoyed uh, reporting. So that'll probably drop on, on Friday. So people can find all that stuff uh, over at the athletic. Sweet. And speaking of uh, checking out some stories, I talked to Lovey Smith uh, about Delshawn Phillips. I think that that is going to come out tomorrow. I'm kind of working on that, doing some other things, managing some other things. So look for that. He was really fun on him. And I think it provides a little insight into the makeup of the player and why maybe it shouldn't have been such a surprise that he made the team uh, a couple weeks ago. 
He is Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. My man, Ryan Talbot, uh, New York Upstate, Syracuse.com. Keep it locked on there for all your Bills coverage. And we will see you tomorrow. We ha- will have our Miami Dolphins preview show. We'll be joined uh, by Josh Tolentino from The Athletic uh, to preview a uh, big game on Sunday, big away game. We won't be there, but we'll cover it. So have a great night, everybody. And Matt, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me.